0: Nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring today. Robert Half is here to help. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.
1: From The Wall Street Journal, this is Instant Message. I'm David Pierce. This week on the show, Apple is getting into the credit card business, and we have a bunch of new stuff to talk about on that front. Later on, I'll talk with Dave Asprey, the creator of Bulletproof Coffee, and the guy who's pretty sure he can use cutting-edge technology and science to live to at least 180 years old. Emphasis on at least. But first, Samsung has a new phone. It's called the Note 10, and we're going to talk about it, sort of. Here, as always, Joanna Stern. Hi, Joanna. Hi. Can you believe is on vacation again?
0: I really can't. But I That's just true. opened Find My Friends, and since Christopher's still allowing me to track his real-time location, if you are listening to this podcast, not right now because we're not live, he's right now currently going down Route 81 in Connecticut.
1: <laughs> Please don't follow him. Or do. Is he's, he going at a proper speed? What do you? He what seems you to be moving very Friends?
0: quickly up 81. Okay. I do not know where he's going. I just know that his dot keeps moving up 81 he'll be to now
1: a week into your find my friends experiment i feel like you've gone really deep into this in a way that i'm I'm slightly uncomfortable with i did get two notifications from you yesterday that you want to find my location in google maps because apparently one way is not enough yep but so okay so let's talk about the note 10 uh which is the like most exciting samsung phone every year maybe is that true I don't know. Are you a note person? Do you? You seem like somebody who might be a, a Samsung Note person.
0: A couple of years ago, I fell in love with the Note, but it was the Note Seven, and I gave it a rave review. And then two weeks later, it blew up on everyone. So I no longer try to give my opinion on Note
1: phones. <laughs> it does kind of feel like we've forgotten about that, and which I think is probably fair. They've had two since then, and they seemed fine. But the we we just sort of ignore the fact that that happened. Okay, and it wasn't even that long ago.
0: No. No, yeah, but I loved that phone, and I feel like for me that was like the real turning point in like really understanding what Samsung was trying to do with that phone, which was differentiate it from the Galaxy S's phones, what is the Galaxy S phones, uh, the smaller screens, and sort of turn this thing into more of a powerhouse pro phone, which I think really was realized then because they added a bunch of tricks with the stylus, but also added a lot of like multi-window functions and other sort of more professional like tools on the phone.
1: Yeah, it was interesting. I had this I had a meeting with Samsung to talk about the phone a few days before the announcement. Uh and basically they told me that there's this really clean divide between people who want a Galaxy S and people who want a Note. And I kept pressing at this and they kept telling me that like people really self-identify in one or the other and they they said people who buy a galaxy s which is the sort of standard iphone competitive samsung phone all talk about you know consumption they want to watch videos and look at instagram and browse the web and check email and stuff and people who use the note talk about it as a as a tool it's like a it's a machine for doing things you know and people have just figured this out and we're you know whatever eight or nine years into this now and it, it neatly sorts itself into people who, like, really, really, really want to get stuff done are willing to pay for a note. But so, OK, yeah. so.
0: I always kind of felt like the note was going to be the, like, BlackBerry, con- the conversion phone for people who love their Blackberries and were like, work. This, I use this thing for work and only work. I love work. And I'm going to buy a note instead. Um, but I also, like, on the flip side, see a lot of people with the note just because they love the bigger screen. Like, I see a lot of people just, like, partying with their phones. They're not working. They're partying.
1: Totally. And, but, but what I think is interesting is it was not that long ago that we were making fun of the Note for being preposterously huge. And now it's the same size as many other phones. Uh, <laughs> including, and this one has like, two sizes, iPhone.
0: right? This new one? Yes.
1: So, okay. So let me let me just run down some of the new things about the Note 10. So there are two phones, like you said, there's the Note 10 Plus, I believe it's called, with mm-hmm. a 6.8-inch screen, which is still quite humongous, but then there's also a regular Note 10, which has a 6.3-inch screen, and in my hands feels like very slightly larger than the iPhone, but not by much. It feels like a thoroughly normal-sized phone. Um, it has all the same stuff you'd find in the Galaxy. Yes, the the same sort of hole-punch cutout display. It has, uh, I don't know, a 1,000 cameras. I think it's, it's one on the front and three on the back, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, it has the S pen, which does handwriting and has this cool, uh, sort of ability. You can quickly turn handwriting into text, So you can handwrite a note and then quickly copy it into an email. Uh, they swear this is a thing people do a ton of, I have never seen a person in the wild handwriting an email on their galaxy note, but Samsung swears, this is a thing that people do. Uh, otherwise it's, you know, fast processors, Samsung software, they have a bunch of stuff for taking video. Uh, they said note people take more video and Galaxy S people take more photos, which I thought was a strange divide, but they have these new editing tools for video. Uh, they have a thing with where you can AR doodle, which I don't care about because no one will use. Uh, it has really fast charging, which I know you'd be excited about. Yeah, uh, does that come including, in the box? It comes with, I can't remember. It's a faster charger than the iPhone, certainly. Mm. Uh, See, this is where we would it have it differed in charge- the
0: meeting. The executive would have so pissed forever. at me. They're always so pissed at me because I just want to talk about the charger that the phone comes with and they want to talk about the phone. <laughs> I'm just like, this is not what the briefing, this is not why I came. I came to talk about the charger.
1: They did tell me it can charge up to 45 watts, which is almost, that you're is, using basically almost all the power of one of those big brick chargers that comes with your laptop, which is
0: pretty impressive. Yeah, that will probably charge that thing in like less than an hour. But So just to go, it, it's a 6.8-inch screen. That's the sl- the smaller one?
1: That's the bigger one.
0: That's the bigger one. What's the midsize one yeah. then? Or the smaller one?
1: 6.3.
0: But the Galaxy S10 is 6.4.
1: Yeah, this is why it makes no sense. It's we've, we've officially lost the plot of the Note is supposed to be a big phone.
0: Okay, so then what is the reason to buy the Note if you are like this professional and you either want to like use the stylus or get not the S word done?
1: Yeah, so, okay, so there are two things here to me that I think are, are the reason to buy a note for people who wanna get stuff, being the, the S word, done. Uh, one is the S pen, right, you can you can use it to write notes. They said a lot of people use it to actually navigate around the phone, that instead of using a finger, it becomes just sort of a more precise tool, and I buy that, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, they that they're also, year. I know, they have new gesture features, like you can, you can hold the pen and, draw a circle in the air to zoom in your camera remotely or uh, change songs by swiping in the air. And like, it's one of those things that I think most people will never even know exists, but for a few users will be very cool. But the thing that I actually think is cool is uh, DeX, which is Samsung's thing where you can plug your phone into a larger screen and use it more like a laptop with a mouse and keyboard, um, is now way better. So before it always had, you needed a separate accessory which I think most people are just never going to buy. You had to kind of dock your phone into a thing, and then it would pop up a more desktop-y looking interface. But now, any USB cable you want to use that just whatever you would use to plug in your phone to your computer or to the charger can now use DeX. So you just plug it into your computer, and it pops open a window, and you, you download a little bit of software on your computer, and it pops open a window that just is it looks like an android tablet basically or like an android laptop um and you can run all your apps you can do everything you want with a mouse and keyboard right there on a window on your laptop and it all runs off your phone so you can use it on like a remote computer one of the things that they mentioned was if you go to a place where you have like shared computers you keep all your data on your phone but work on the computer and then just pull it out and leave when you're done or you can get text messages that you can reply to on your computer because it's connected through your phone. So it's like this meshing of phone and computer that I think is super interesting. I don't know if anyone actually cares about this. It will work on a Mac.
0: That's pretty cool.
1: They have more integration with Windows. Like there's a separate app that you can use to actually mirror notifications and stuff on Windows, but... You can plug it in and just use your Android phone like a mini computer in a window on your Mac, which I think is awesome. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I mean, is this your.
0: I've been like, I I was on this kick for a long time. Like, I really wanted one device. They're everything, it's everything. And like, for me, it was much more the tablet bridging with the computer or the laptop Mm. than the phone bridging with the tablet or the phone bridging with the computer. Because I felt like the intersection of when you'd use a tablet and a computer was different than when you'd use your phone and the computer. But we're going to get to that point. We're going to get to the point where the phone has enough horsepower, just as much as a tablet, that we can probably have one device.
1: I think we're kind of there. But like the, there's this world, I think, people who, who think about phones as computers imagine, where you go into Starbucks and there's just a bunch of sort of dumb terminals sitting there and you just like sit down and grab one and plug your phone in and everything is running. And like, it's like the the comeback of the internet cafe. Uh, And then everybody else is like, well, that's dumb. You touch someone's like
0: grimy laptop. I mean, grimy shared Starbucks keyboard. I'm just joking, I'd probably touch it. Honestly, I'd probably lick it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, (laughs) just given how disgusting everyone's personal keyboard is, I can't even imagine how gross A shared keyboard. So you bring your phone and you bring a keyboard and there's just a bunch of screens everywhere.
0: Okay. Um, B-Y-O-K.
1: Okay. (laughs) Exactly. What if we just built the phone into the keyboard?
0: B-Y-O-M, too. Mouse.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's true. Okay. So you bring a mouse and a keyboard and a phone. Yeah. And then everywhere this is... Right. I guess this... I think I I just made the world much worse.
0: It has a touchscreen maybe so you don't need the M. That's true, but then the touchscreens are going to get gross. Oh, so So you should
1: probably bring your own screen, too.
0: B-Y-O-C, bring your own cloth. (laughs) Perfect.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This week, Apple allowed the first regular people outside of Apple to use the Apple Card. The credit card, it's been co-developing with Goldman Sachs for I think a couple of years now. So I'm in the first group. Uh, I've been using it for a couple of days now. And I mean, like, first and foremost, it's a a credit card. But it does, I think, have something to say about the future of how we pay for stuff. Um, Liz Hoffman, who writes about investment banks for the journal, has been writing about the Apple Card for well over a year. Hi, Liz. Hi. Okay, the Apple Card, tell us why.
2: Um, look, it's, there's two things here, right? One is there's a, a user experience and like credit cards have been just terribly clunky and user unfriendly and full of fraud and really hard to understand and a pretty bad product for a long time. And then there's like the whole thing of the provision of consumer credit, which is a very basic thing that happens every day and it's not rocket science. So separating those two things I think is probably helpful. It's a slick product. It looks good. It's it's easy to use. The colors are good. It pulls in a lot of location data. It'll help you keep track of stuff. At the end of the day, they're lending you money and they want it back. And so I think, you know, Apple has made a lot of money being a company that like really prides itself on experience and the provision and and you know, like lending money and collecting it is not always a great experience. And that's where the tension is going to be as this rolls
1: out. Yeah. And you've been you've been kind of writing about this for a while now, because I, I, I went back over all the reporting you've done on the Apple card and you've been writing about this for like a year and a half or something now. Is it only about I feel like that
2: <laughs> It feels longer. Yeah, it,
1: it might be longer. But that that tension feels like it's been there the whole time. And I've seen this from a bunch of people even uh, kind of up to the launch now of like, how is Apple this company that, you know, claims it likes consumers and is trying to help them have good experiences going to actually make any noise in the realm of lending people money, which is this, to your point, shady and gross and generally really unpleasant experience for all parties. Um, Do you have any sense of of Apple's goal here? Like why would Apple want to have a credit card other than to, you know, make money in all the shady ways credit cards make money?
2: So Apple wants to have a credit card because it wants to be in its users' financial lives. It wants to follow them wherever they go. And spending money is a thing that we all do every day. And credit cards are not always the best way to do that, but they're like remarkably popular. People reach for the plastic all the time. And so if Apple can have you doing that inside its ecosystem, that makes Apple happy, makes Apple money, makes you spend more time on the platform. That's what they're looking for. In terms of making this thing less icky, there's two ways they're doing that. One is to genuinely try to make it a little less icky, to be a little more transparent about (laughs) what you're paying for. It's always a good start. Um, To be a little more transparent about what your interest rate actually is. A lot of people don't think of credit cards as loans. They think of them as as kind of like liquidity management, right? I don't get paid for a couple of weeks, but I need some stuff now or like I can pay it off. And when you think about a loan, like a mortgage, right, 4% is kind of the benchmark rate that people think of. Credit card debt is like 15 18 20%. It's crazy expensive. Um, and so to try to bring a little transparency into what those rates actually are, to tailor them a little bit better. Right now they're fairly blunt instruments for the big credit card issuers, which will charge the same rate to people in like a pretty wide bucket of credit worthiness. So that's one thing to try to actually make it a little less icky and make you – there's some features built in here to help you understand – what interest you'll actually pay and what that costs and if you pay the minimum payment and all of those things.
1: Yeah, I will say the, the the actual interface for that is very cool. So I'm looking at it right now. My my total balance that I've spent on the Apple card so far is $168.99. Uh, and it, if I go to pay it, it tells me, it, it defaults to paying the whole thing, which is different from how a lot of places work where they'll tell you like, here's the minimum amount you have to pay and then not tell you that that means you incur a bunch of interest and whatever. So this defaults to the whole thing. And then as I scroll back, it starts to tell me how much interest I'm gonna pay based on my interest rate and what I'm paying. So you start to get this real sense of like, okay, I can pay my bill or I can pay less, but it's gonna cost me this much. And I feel like that to your point is is a much better tool for calculating that stuff than I've ever seen on a credit card.
2: Definitely. And it will also you know, over time bump you to to sort of, well, we think you could pay this much based on what you've done in the past and we'll try to nudge mm. you um, you know, so it's like kind of behavioral economics towards towards slightly higher payments. So, right, that's in the bucket of making this whole thing feel a little less slimy. But for the stuff that just genuinely has to be slimy, that's why they have a bank. Like, that's why they have gold <laughs> yeah. in there to do the stuff that banks have to do um, and that they'll offload a lot of the collections, a lot of the um, why did I get rejected, a lot of the sort of squishy money things that make people feel bad. It really helps to have a big bank. I guess I've been. Yeah, I guess
1: that's true. Goldman Sachs doesn't need you to like them the way that Apple needs you to like them.
2: No, and you don't.
0: (laughs) And like, do you get (laughs) the feeling that there's incentive there for Apple? Like, many companies, they're around their credit cards, they have point systems, and they have ways to sort of get you more engaged with the card. Like, is Apple's end mission here to also just get you more
2: engaged with like Apple and its services? Do we have any sense of that yet? So that's what's interesting, right? Most credit card companies, they make their money two ways. They make it on swipe fees. So every time you use it, there's a, like a that, that amount of money gets split up a bunch of ways between credit card networks and the card issuer and banks and companies and all that stuff. And then they make it on interest. And so the inherent tension here, if you take Apple and Goldman at face value and they want you to sort of live healthier financial lives, which basically means borrow less at the end of the day, how are they going to make their money, right? And so... It's going to have to – basically, the long-term play is that by being less predatory on things like interest rate and hidden fees and stringing you along with big balances, that you'll use it more and that they'll make it up in volume in swipe fees. That's kind of the long-term trade-off, and that everyone will feel better about the brand. And I would be surprised if this was the only financial product that they have their eye on. And if you can get people kind of living their financial lives on your platform – in the mm-hmm. same way you can get them, you know, sending messages on your platform and checking social media and doing all of the other things that Apple has. It's just sticky.
1: Yeah. Why, what is in this for Goldman Sachs? I've been trying to figure this out this whole time. Like, I, I sort of understand why I would want it. I sort of understand why Apple would want to do it. But why would Goldman Sachs be involved in this?
2: So Goldman, you probably know them as like a big Wall Street firm. They do big deals. They do big trades. They make a lot of money, um, except that they don't make that much money doing those things anymore. It's been a lot harder for them since the financial crisis, and so they're looking for new ways to make money, and the big idea that they have landed on is consumer finance. Like, they've never mm. been a regular Main Street bank. They don't branches. They don't write mortgages. They don't like checking accounts, and so they're starting to build those products one at a time, and they kind of looked at the, at the credit card landscape and said, well, look, this is actually a pretty good business, right? Rates are pretty high. Usage is pretty high. Like, technology, if you can do it better, you can make it a lot more profitable, um, but they knew that going in alone would just be really hard. It's really expensive to acquire all these customers. You have to send them a lot of like direct mail and offers, and you got to chase them all over the internet. And so they looked at Apple and said, "Well, here's this company that we already know really well. Goldman is Apple's investment bank. i have known them for a really long time. They're trying to get into finance, so they would like a bank partner who's willing to be flexible because." they don't have any business doing this so they'll say yes to anything and that also has this huge like loyal fan base of people who will buy something or use a product just because it's an apple product and so they're looking for customers here that's the play and their view is that team up with the best and like good things will happen so david I just to know. wrap up why yeah. why do you want one
1: so okay so i'm i'm i mean i've been using it liz have you been did you get into the? the I trial? didn't.
2: I Did you gotta you? tell you, I got a lot of Goldman Sachs in my life. I don't. It's my <laughs> I don't think I need any more. But um, I have. I have seen a demo.
1: That's fair. That 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 tracks. So the thing that's compelling for me is a uh, part of me feels like this whole Apple Card thing is just a marketing campaign for Apple Pay uh, because it totally. has really made me realize how many places I can use Apple Pay and uh, so the the way the rewards are structured, you get. 3% cash back uh, on anything you buy with the Apple card from Apple. So apps and movies and, I don't know, iPhones, whatever. Like anything you buy from Apple, you get 3% cash back on. Anything you use Apple Pay for, the whether you tap your phone or use it on the web, uh you get two percent. And anything you do with the card itself, the the really cool looking titanium card, you get one percent. So it's very clear that they're incentivizing people to use Apple Pay and also to buy Apple products, but they want you to like tap your phone on stuff. And I feel like the the card is really, the physical card is just a sort of stopgap. But I like using Apple Pay. I've been using my watch to pay for stuff. I bought, you know, I, I went to Walgreens with just my phone and bought some stuff and like it's cool, and I forget that Apple Pay exists all the time. And I pay with stuff on a credit card, and I'm like, oh, I could have just used my phone. That would have actually been a lot easier.
2: But I think you'll see a lot of moves of people trying to strike the right partnerships to to bring that onto their platform.
1: When we got Apple Pay, we also got Google Pay and Samsung Pay and Pay with Venmo and all these other things. Like, are we going to start to see competitive cards from from all of them too? Do you think?
2: I Venmo think, has a card, right? Venmo does. It's a debit card. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's sort of a it's a it's more like an Apple. Cash, Apple Pay Cash. Got it. Cards. I've seen them uh, advertising. Right. So the big tech companies started with the least regulated part of finance, which is just like the moving of money from one place to another. Um, it's like what Visa and MasterCard do. It's not terribly sexy. And it's, it's really – it's a place where if you are better at tech than the next person, you have a huge advantage. So it was an obvious way for them to get in. This is like the first – like, real, true, core financial product. It's not rocket science. Credit cards have been around for 60 years. Um, But it is, like, this is a a real... They're striking at the heart of what banks have had to themselves. Now, they have a bank. Apple could not have done this on their own. They're not allowed to. And so going forward, it'll just be a question of people trying to sort of pick their dance partners and who needs who more, right? I would argue here that, um, that in a lot of ways... Goldman needs Apple more than Apple needs Goldman, but Apple needs somebody. And so all these tech companies will have to figure out, well, who should be our partner and take all that unpleasant regulatory stuff off our plate. Have they said how many people have signed up? They've not. I don't know. It's
0: hard.
1: The for number us. I heard was millions, but that's, that's all I've heard. Really? Could literally mean anything. <laughs> well, and that's just for people who signed up to be notified when it launched. That's not
0: oh, yeah. anything well, else. Well, I guess I could kind of believe that. And there's still an it's application hard for, I process. It's hard for me to know just because I feel like the tech community is going to freak out whenever Apple launches something new. It's like kind Some, of like, right. you know, the Sometimes last it's just like AirPods a- or Apple Watch. And it's like, a card, guys.
2: Though, actually, I think right. that's important here because that's like a big part of the sales pitch, which is there are fanboys who will just buy anything that has an Apple logo on it. And just as like a PSA, it's important to note this is not – a. This is not this is not a gadget. This is a financial product that has like real implications on your credit, and it could be good ones. Like maybe you trade like a really high interest credit card that you never pay because you don't understand for this lower yeah. interest great thing. But this is not like a thing you should just get on a lark. it's it's a it's a pull on your credit and it affects, you know your ability to. Spend money. Don't tell David. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I did already David get 48 about. cents in rewards. So I'm Daily, much right? killing it Daily. already. And yeah, David, it is a
0: gadget it. though, right? Like you've been playing with that titanium card all the time, right? You've have, been like trying to make calls best, on it.
1: You've been. It makes the best sound when you throw it on the table. Yeah. I would do it right now, but I don't have it on me. But David's it's been just trying It to just like, sounds so good.
0: Review it as a gadget. He's like trying to make it into headphones and like make phone calls on it. And <laughs> it's a watch, right? It does all those things.
1: Yeah, it's very impressive. Um, and it makes you feel like a real big shot when, when you have it.
2: Liz, keyboard, thank you. Too. Thanks
0: for having me. <laughs> Another keyboard dig. Can we get a sound effect when I make keyboard digs? <laughs> thank you, Liz. Sorry for putting you through that.
1: Coming up in just a second, my interview with Dave Asprey, the godfather of biohacking. That's literally a phrase he likes to use. On how he's hacked his own body for decades and what happens when you and the scientists disagree about what you should be doing. But first, it's time for Today I Learned, in which one of us brings something we discovered this week in the course of our work and lives. Um, I have a really good one this week, and I'm pretty sure it's the weirdest one we've ever done. Joanne, are you ready for this? I'm ready. Okay. So... The background of this is I wrote a column about public Wi-Fi uh, and whether it's safe to use the Wi-Fi you find in restaurants or coffee shops or whatever. So in the course of doing this, I wound up reading a bunch of companies' privacy policies for their networks and, in general, like what you do and what you're giving up when you use the network at McDonald's or Starbucks or an airport. And at one point, I was reading Taco Bells because, fun fact, it turns out Taco Bell, by many studies, has the fastest Wi-Fi of any chain. In America, so if you want to get fast Wi-Fi, go to a Taco Bell. So I'm reading Taco Bell's Wi-Fi policy, and I discover there's a section in the policy called Taco Bell Weddings, and there are a bunch of rules about what happens at a Taco Bell wedding. So my my question is, well, what's a what's a Taco Bell wedding? And it turns out that in Las Vegas on the Strip, there is a Taco Bell that has on its second floor a wedding chapel, and for $600 you can get married at a Taco Bell. Uh, you get a ceremony and an officiant and they can spin this up for you in as little as four hours. And when you get there, you get t-shirts for the bride and groom with, with the Taco Bell bell on it. You get Taco Bell champagne flutes. You get 12 tacos. You get a Cinnabon cake. You get a quote sauce packet bouquet, which is available for the bride to use during the ceremony. You get a sauce packet garter and bow tie. Those two you get to keep. You have to return the bouquet at the end. Uh, And, you have, this is my favorite part of the rules. You have exactly 30 minutes. These, these weddings, they are just churning them in and out. You have 30 minutes to get married at a Taco Bell in Las Vegas for $600. And, and what if I were to tell you that there were at least three scheduled for this very weekend?
0: How long in the 30 minutes? I have a lot of questions, but I think the most pressing Good. One is, in the 30 minutes, is that your eating time? Like, is the eating time allotted in that? Like, do you have to eat? your cool ranch dorito loco tacos or whatever. Yes, so
1: they tell you to come dressed and ready and prepared and you have to literally be out of the building in 30 minutes.
0: But can you get like extra they are not eating messing time? Around. Like you can't get married and eat in the same 30 minutes. I went to my own wedding and that was not possible.
1: You can you can go downstairs into the restaurant and keep eating, but you have to be out of the chapel in 30 minutes.
0: Hmm. 30 minutes. Okay. That's so fast. Who marries you?
1: So there is uh, there is a company I forget who it's called I think it's called Flora Pop or something like that that does quote pop up weddings and they're the ones who manage this so they have they have officiants they have people who can make all this happen all you have to do is show up with a wedding license and there are people there who can do all of this for you is the officiant
0: is the okay next question is the officiant mm-hmm. holding the taco bell chihuahua
1: uh, such a good question uh, I'm gonna guess no but. I feel like for a price, you could probably make that happen. Hmm. Or just a, a chihuahua. I think you, you could almost certainly make it happen. I mean, I think
0: happen. it should be the, the one. <laughs> that's fair. I think that's right. What uh, about... Yeah. So this
1: is... It's a thing. This happens apparently all the time. It's reasonably popular. And they cater to, <laughs> specifically, people who really want to get married, but all the other wedding chapels are booked. So it's like, if you <laughs> if you decide you want to get married in Vegas that day and you're like oh crap you know the elvis chapel is booked taco bell is like we got you don't worry about it come get married to taco bell
0: see i think taco bell should be thinking about if they are booked then where are you going to go because they are going to have the longest line for weddings and tacos yeah i mean you buyers. would think
1: this is where if i'm like mcdonald's we're right. trying to get into this you're like welcome to mcdonald's divorce court uh like we've got you we can solve all your problems in two meals so, also, yeah, this is what I learned this week. Taco Bell does weddings for $600. And all you need is four hours of notice.
0: I have so many questions about it. But what, I, I guess the last final question is why was this mm-hmm. in the terms of service?
1: Uh, because Taco Bell has very specific rules about things like how your photos can be used if uh, you get married at a Taco Bell and how long. I mean, it's literally written into the policy in very specific terms that you have to be out in 30 minutes. It is in the policy. Uh, and and so this was this was a whole section of Taco Bell's privacy policy is the rules for what you get and what you are able to do when you get married at a Taco Bell. And one of the rules is you have to return the sauce packet bouquet,
0: yeah. I mean, I'm searching for this on the internet, and it's like we may have been the last people to find out about this too. yes,
1: it's possible. <laughs> Everybody else already got married there, so they, they knew before we did.
0: We had no idea, but there's like tons of articles and videos of this.
1: It's a deep it's a deep dive. I'll, I'll see you I'll see you in a week when you come back out of this. Um, in the meantime, next up, a look inside the world of biohacking, all the upsides and all the downsides.
0: Robert Half research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. Robert Half is here to help. Our recruiting professionals utilize our proprietary AI to connect businesses with highly skilled talent. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.
1: I'll just level with you. I wanted to have Dave Asprey on this show because I kind of thought he's full of it. A lot of people know Dave as the creator of Bulletproof Coffee, which is coffee with a special kind of butter and oil that lots of people swear gives them boundless energy and is great for their health. But there's plenty of debate in the science community over whether Bulletproof Coffee is a good idea or if it even has the health effects that Dave claims. Meanwhile, in the last few years, Bulletproof has started selling everything from supplements to protein bars to single serve packs of cold brew Bulletproof Coffee. It's this big brand now. And Dave has become synonymous with the idea of biohacking, using scientific and technological experimentation to change your body. He's also become one of the symbols of a big movement in Silicon Valley and elsewhere, of people doing everything from microdosing LSD at work to injecting modified cells into their body, all searching for the same, I don't know, small or big performance edge. So, I don't know, have you ever heard of Jack Dorsey, the Square and Twitter CEO, talking about how he doesn't eat all weekend? That's the kind of stuff we're talking about. And that's the kind of stuff lots of nutritionists and others think can be dangerous to your health, not good for it. But Dave seems to support all of it. It certainly worked for him. He often talks about how he lost lots of weight, how much healthier he is now. He's in his 40s and says he plans to live to 180 and is dead serious about it. But does any of what works for him mean anything for anyone other than Dave Asprey? And how can people experiment safely and find out what works for them? Those are all the questions I had for Dave, and we get to all of them. But first, I asked Dave to describe a day in his life. I assumed it involved tons of supplements and weird exercises and all kinds of crazy routines. And
3: I was sort of right, but only sort of. Well, I wake up, I check how I did on my sleep with an aura ring. Uh, just, I always check my sleep. Like, how did I do that? That's my habit. I keep my phone in airplane mode until I've dropped my kids off at school or until I'm sort of at the office. I, I don't want to start getting other people's agendas foisted on me via text message or anything else. Uh, I have my Bulletproof coffee uh, every morning. I have for a very long time. Uh, uh, on rare occasions, I'll have it just, just black Bulletproof coffee. Uh, if I'm gonna do like a fast. Sometimes I'll fast for uh, half a day, essentially an intermittent fast, and sometimes I'll fast for a day or two, and sometimes I'll just do one meal a day. I take a handful of supplements uh, when I wake up, And after that, it really depends. I I don't have that that thing that single people or people who don't have kids do, which is, oh, I woke up and, you know, I wrote my journal for a half hour uh, and then I meditated and I lit a candle and I had tea with 17 chrysanthemum bulbs or whatever that... You can't pull that off if you have a rapidly growing company, (laughs) venture investors, a wife, children, uh, and a life. Uh, So I fit in the things that I can. But what I do is I say, look, I'm going to take 45 minutes... Um, of time this morning. And I'm going to do something to improve myself. I happen to live on top, or not live, I happen to work on top of a Bulletproof or an Upgrade Labs. It's called Bulletproof Mm -hmm. Spun Upgrade Labs out. So I have a million dollars worth of gear that's used by professional athletes, astronauts, and other people like that to recover faster or to create more stimulation. So I can do two and a half hours of cardio in 21 minutes. Uh, Or I can put muscle on three times faster than you can with lifting rocks the way we've always done it, or pieces of metal. But more likely, I'll be doing some light therapy (laughs) or pulsed electromagnetics, things that are shown in scientific research to modulate how the body works, uh, things that you can feel work, and things that some skeptical scientists say that doesn't work because it can't because they've chosen to ignore all the scientific papers that say it work, and they've chosen to not try it themselves, and they've chosen to ignore all the people who try it and feel a big difference. Uh, they, they just ignore all that and say, oh, uh, more research is needed.
1: What level of responsibility do you feel for whether something works? I mean, do you work, like, what if these things just work for you? What if they just work for people like you? What if, uh, you know, the, I think that the people who say more research is needed... I, I, they're, they're bound to be right sometimes, right? Like, I think the the pushback I see against you seems to be twofold. One is that people think you're, you're crazy and wrong and none of this can work. And I'm actually less interested in that and more interested in the people who say, well, we don't know and let's be careful until we do. And that seems like a more fair pushback it, against
3: you. Yeah. It, it seems fair on its face, but you have to look at what we're comparing it against. So... We have a set of behaviors that were created with no knowledge, for the most part. They, they're they just, I don't know, that's the way we always did it. And we don't know why, we don't know how they work, but we do know the outcome. The outcome is that, oh, most of us, most people listening to this show today are going to die from one of four things. I call them the four killers in my next book. You have diabetes, cardiovascular disease, uh, Alzheimer's, and cancer. Take your choice. So... They're telling me that more research is needed because the path we're on, which says you get to pick which one of those four is going to take you out. Well, I think that you can say, we're going to try something, and we are going to measure the results. And if the results move things in the direction that we choose, the direction that we wanted, then we're going to keep doing them for ourselves. So, and I I would think that your
1: ability to work within some of the stuff has changed, A, as you have more people who are, are... and using the products that you have. Like, I feel like at this point, you can just sort of search on Twitter and see what at least what Bulletproof Coffee means to lots of people, just to name one example. But also, I feel like it must have been interesting to you now that we have things like the Aura Ring that you mentioned, or the Apple Watch or Fitbits, these things that are like moment to moment, day to day, measuring people in a
3: way that we've never had before. Like, has that stuff changed the way that you're able to work? It has. And a lot of people don't know this, but I was CTO and co-founder of one of the wristband tracking companies, the first one who could get your heart rate from the wrist the way the uh, Apple Watch. I does. didn't know that. And and so I've been looking at, at uh, heart rate signals since I think about 2005. One of the things that you do is over time you correlate things. What I do yesterday that's affecting what I do today, noting the patterns and then finding studies that could point to likely mechanisms, sharing it with other people, getting feedback from them, and then finding out... Uh, what i was uh, uh, find out what i was uh, what i was able to replicate and saying hey guys maybe you should try this because the chances of it harming you to move meal timing or to try you know the true dark glasses before you go to bed or whatever it's pretty low but i've noticed a doubling of my deep sleep when i filter out these four light frequencies and i ended up launching a company around that sort of a thing and I'll be flying to the East Coast from the West Coast tonight. And my son and I are going to be wearing funky looking red glasses uh, that I invented. And why? Because, well, I can see the data, right? And if I didn't have the aura ring, I wouldn't know that. Okay. So it, it does make me wonder is there sort of an upward limit to that for you? I mean,
1: I think the. This idea where it's it's relatively low stakes to make these changes and try them, and there is potentially a big benefit, it is is a really smart way to approach this, I think. But then I hear about you know people who are, I don't know, injecting CRISPR cells into themselves, or you've even experimented with stem, stem stem cells and stuff like that. Like, what's your sense of both kind of where the limit is for stuff that you'll try and stuff that you'll recommend to other people?
3: The limit has to do with how big of a benefit and how big of a risk, and also am I about to die? It's fair. So look, if I have, you know, stage 4 cancer, let me tell you the gloves are coming off. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Right? But am I going to inject CRISPR, you know, to see if I can make my toenails grow faster? No, cuz the benefit's stupid. Right? But what I think about doing CRISPR if I thought it was going to you know, radically increase my IQ or if it was going to extend my lifespan a lot and the risk was characterized and tested in animals and it didn't look like it was low risk and we thought we knew how it worked. I would strongly consider that because the rewards are so high. And you know what? If it didn't work, I'd monitor the crap out of it and write a blog post about it before I kicked off. Because that's how human progress works. So what
1: do you, what do you make of, of kind of why this has become such a big thing in Silicon Valley? I mean, I'm I'm here in, in San Francisco hearing about people all the time, you know, microdosing LSD or... Uh, taking nootropics every morning or, you know, Jack Dorsey's wacky eating habits, like we've talked about. Why Why do you think this is such a big thing, having such a moment right now? Like, is it just that the internet has given us so much access to information that people are willing to try crazy things that they read
3: about on the internet? Like, where? why is this taking off? It's because it's become possible now. I, I grew up in the world of computer hackers drinking something called Jolt Cola with twice the sugar and twice the caffeine of, sure. of Coke, right? Way back in the day. And any respectable hacker would live on pizza all night long and no sleep and and all this and this is these are the people who built the cloud, uh, these are you know my people. The problem is that it doesn't work very well. Uh, no Silicon Valley person is going to do anything like this that doesn't work. We're, we're the people who will spit out kale unless it's giving us benefits uh, because it doesn't taste good. <laughs> so, but the willingness to experiment that's it, it's built into how engineers think. And of course we're going to pay attention to it. We're also going to reject it if it doesn't work. And uh, right now uh, there's a reason that Jack's diet isn't crazy at all. Jack's running two companies guys, and you're going to criticize his diet. How do you think he keeps his energy up? Right. Kudos to him for doing that. And it's completely ridiculous when one person says, Oh, your diet isn't Okay. Uh, Here's the deal if someone's diet works for them They're not you and their workload in their life isn't you and it is uh, it's enough work to run one company uh, And to do what Jack's doing is a superhuman act and if he says I feel better on one meal a day uh, Awesome, and and I just I'm shocked that people have a hard time with that But uh, I guess some people take their diet as their self-identity.
1: Well, yeah, I think it's a, there's a tricky sort of cultural thing there where I think Jack Dorsey, just to keep picking on him, is a person a lot of people look up to and would like to emulate in their lives. And I think the 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 idea that Jack Dorsey's diet works for him is I totally agree is is fine and great. But I guess the the part where I don't I think it's trickier is when Jack Dorsey is is either explicitly or implicitly telling other people
3: like this is the right way to live your life. It, it's more like this you're in charge of your own biology. If something isn't working, it's your fault. And it's something you did, and you don't know what it is maybe, but it's still your fault because you have control and you haven't taken control. So you should try what Jack is doing and what I'm doing. Um, But if, if everything's working great for you, awesome. But most people walk around complaining and suffering and doing the same thing that doesn't work over and over and over. And so those people, all of them should do exactly what Jack does to see if it works. And if it doesn't work, they should do something else until they find what works. It's called basic self-responsibility. Don't follow one guru. Follow hundreds of gurus after you've got
1: the data. One thing that is is hard for people is figuring out those sort of correlations and causations that you're talking about. So... Let's, let's give some sort of practical advice here. Like, how walk me through how you would do one of these experiments or how you would tell someone, you know, some sort of ordinary person who doesn't live above a gym with a ton of amazing
3: equipment. How would you walk somebody through one of these experiments? All right, let's say that you're going to spend no additional money whatsoever. Okay. All right, so you are going to wake up tomorrow morning and you're going to take whatever coffee you drink, and trust me, you could do better, <laughs> uh, but you're going to take that and you're going to put instead of anything else for breakfast in the morning, you're going to put a couple tablespoons of whatever butter you have in your house, not margarine, just butter. And trust me, you can do better if it's grass fed, but just that you're going to blend them together and you're going to drink it for breakfast. Okay. And you're going to just see what happens. And at 10 AM, which is set an alarm on your watch and wait to look down and realize I didn't want a bagel, I didn't want a croissant, I actually wasn't hungry. Isn't that weird? Because this is the time I normally eat the donut. And then at noon, I want you to have another alarm that says, oh, it's lunchtime. And then ask yourself, have I been thinking for the last hour about what's for lunch? Or did I forget about that because I was doing something else because my body was actually satisfied? This is one of those things. One morning, you had some butter for breakfast with your coffee. And by the way, you have to blend it or it doesn't work. I'll just tell you that there's, there's water chemistry around that. Okay? It's just not that hard. And either you experienced way less hunger or you didn't. And you're smart enough to know that. And that's a basic experiment. And there's things you could do around darkening your room so that you improve your sleep quality or taking a really hot shower before you go to bed to release endorphins. And I've written lots and lots of articles on hacking sleep, but many of the things are completely free. And when you do that and you just notice a difference, that difference is power. Yeah, I agree. So, okay, let's let's give one more example because this is a, another thing I
1: read about in a story about you uh, that I thought was really interesting. Because as a person who also travels a lot, this was uh, very telling to me. This is you tell this great story in an article about uh, I think it was just how to beat jet lag from four experts or something like that. And and your point was basically one of the things that you found was walking in bare walking barefoot in nature helps you combat jet lag. Uh, yeah, and it was kind of like the the sense I got, and you can please correct me if I'm wrong, was basically like you tried to do yoga outside barefoot. Uh, and it made you feel way better and then you tried it yoga inside and it didn't make you feel better and so the the difference there is that you were outdoors and then you tried it a few more times and decided that it kind of worked so what's what's the bar for you on, on an experiment like that like what how do you go from oh that's interesting the difference was outside to like confidently saying for sure that this works for me like what's the how how many tries does it
3: take before you get to a point where you're like this is the thing I was tortured by jet lag because I was commuting every month uh, from the West Coast to Cambridge, England, which is just a, okay every month. So you just never get into a good sleep cycle. So it gave me this this great crucible to test jet lag. So I tested body temperature and exercising. And because it rains in England all the time, uh, much like in Seattle, uh, you really couldn't do yoga outside. But one time there was sun. So I said, I'll do my exercise after I land to get my body temperature up like it should be in the morning. And uh, I did it. And that trip, I was like, wow, my brain is on. I feel so good. It must be exercise. And I came back the next time and did it. It And it didn't work. Right. So I went. I went back and forth, but I just had a little notepad. And like, what what is it? Like, what's going on here? And just asking yourself that: what variable in my environment influenced me? And then I read the very first work around the electrical grounding a couple of years later, and I said, Oh, of course, this guy has uh, ha- has explained a plausible mechanism. And it turns out when you walk grounded, uh, or just sit in the ocean or on the beach or whatever. Uh, you're dropping a static charge that builds up on your cells and there's pretty darn good scientific evidence for this even though it isn't well known and that thing can cause inflammation So I had inadvertently stumbled on that effect. Now I have a plausible cause for it. And now I can confidently go out and say, hey, you should try this. Because I noticed it worked before I knew the mechanism. Now we have a mechanism. Uh, So what, what risk are you gonna take by taking your shoes off and standing on a lawn after a flight? The only risk you take is to looking stupid that's fair do you worry about sort of confirmation bias on on your own
1: side i mean i I think i'm particularly sensitive to all this right now because i spend so much time looking into the effects of technology and everywhere you look there's studies about eye fatigue and screen time and there was like that story about how we're all growing horns out the back of our head but then you turn around and there's another study that says the opposite so i think do you ever starting from sort of those principles like is it is it hard to go looking for things that disagree with you in in the same vein as
3: looking for stuff that agrees with you? It may be that I have a weird brain. I'm attracted to things that disagree with me. I just want new things that disagree with me. I love digging in on that because, oh my God, what if there's a whole nother level? Like, What if I should replace butter with marshmallows in my Bulletproof Coffee? Like, show me the data. I'm going to try it. If there's data that says it might work, and if I feel like garbage, which I would predict in that case, um, then I'm probably not going to try it more than twice. But I... The studies that point out that there may be flaws in the current set of things we believe—that's the cutting edge of science. That's where the interesting stuff is. I didn't—I don't want to be right. I want to feel good and and be thin, or at least healthy. I, I actually don't really care that much about thin. I, I, you still can say I'm thin, um, but. Uh, whatever that thing is I I just don't want to I don't want to be fat in fact more than I want to be thin Um, so I would like to just have my joints not hurt I want my brain to be able to come up with ideas I want a sense of effortlessness in my life and in my day and I want to know I have the energy to handle whatever life brings my way and I did not have that for a lot of my life so I want that more than I want to be right a lot more
1: yeah I mean being right
3: never helped anybody live
1: to 180 is is basically what you're saying (laughs) well put
3: man I wish that was my soundbite
1: After my conversation with Dave, I tried Bulletproof Coffee for the first time, and I have to tell you, I did feel great afterwards. I'm still not sure what to make of that, but it did feel kind of great. Anyway, that's our show. Thanks to Dave, Liz, and Joanna for being here. Thanks to Tanya Bustos, our producer, and Wilson Rothman, the real MVP. And most of all, thank you for listening. We have new episodes every Friday, so make sure you subscribe to Instant Message wherever you get your podcasts. Keep an eye out for when Christopher finally comes back from vacation. As always, if you have feedback or ideas, email us at instantmessage at wsj.com.
3: We'll talk to you soon. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort.